I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run Hip Hop by the Numbers on Twitter. I use Hip Hop Statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I am Director of the Fifth Element, where I highlight the Fifth and Hip Hop, which is knowledge. Then hear me say, ooh. Na 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 na. Na 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 na. Then he say, ooh. Na 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 na. Oh, the delay is so glorious. It was, it was great. That <laughs> delay was worth it. That delay was worth it. Fucking <laughs> <Okay, no. laughs> hell. You guys won't, you guys won't clock the delay, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was good in real time. It was fun. Classic. Classic. Just Classic. just the just the split just the split second of Ben trying to figure out where where which which uh, where it's from. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because uh, pre pre Charlie's like, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to participate in this intro, and I'm like, oh, okay, shit, I don't know what the fucking intro <laughs> is. Like, <laughs> where's the fun in telling you? <laughs> That's very true. It's more fun to where's see me fun? squirm on camera. Yeah, exactly. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? What have you been this week? This week, so I got into quite a few albums. I got into Lardo's Triple Seven. Now, the push behind Lardo surprisingly lost momentum in 2020 and 2021 because her debut album dropped August 21, 2020. It went number 44, and I doubt very much the label was like, oh, yeah, that's cool, you know, when the numbers came in. I, I really don't think they thought that... I thought they thought it was going to do a lot more than that, especially after they brought S- Sweetie in and Trina on Bitch From The South, along with... They had Gucci Mane, 21 Savage, City Girls, Lil Baby as features on there, and production from Hitmaker, Murder Beats, Jay White did it. These are not producers you find in the garbage bin, you know? These are fucking top-tier producers. Then came the fraught process of promoting this new album because none of the new songs off Queen of the South hit the Hot 100. Like Beatbox and The Biggest were basically temperatures. These were non-album singles. They should have been on the albums, but they just didn't hit, you know, and the temperature was really cold in 2021 for Lado. And then she popped up on the Do It remix with Chloe and Haley and Doja Cat. But aside from that, you know, features with G-Eazy, Gucci Mane, 2 Chains, Chris Brown, Young Thug, Moneybag Yo, they all failed to chart. And I'm giving this context to situate the album because rather than back off, RCA doubled down. And production comes via Sunny Digital, Dr. Luke, Jetson Made, DA Got That Dope, OG Parker. They grabbed Mariah Carey for the remix to Big Energy. That propelled it to number 14 on the Hot 100. Features from Lil Durk, Lil Wayne, Childish Gambino, 21 Savage, Kodak Black, Nardo Wick. And there's a great reason they did all this because Lardo is fucking potent, man. She's vibrant. On the first two tracks, she embodies this like weird hybrid of MC Light and Cardi B. It's like she's skating lyrically but force-feeding us her sexuality in the absolute best way possible. And this blends straight into Wheelie with 21 Savage, who compliments her brilliantly, I think, on that track. And then Big Energy, which is the centerpiece of the record. And it flips Mariah Carey's fantasy from 1995. If you listen to it, you'll be like, oh yeah, fuck, man. And that's a big, that's difficult to do. That is a difficult line to toe, and she fucking did it. And obviously the label paid a lot of money to clear that sample, and it paid off. And 33 minutes, it kind of drifts towards the end really hard. Sleep, Sleep, Real One, they're, they're not great songs. Bust Down with Kodak Black is a horrible song. 
He has this like because you know Kodak Black is very emotive and he has this delicate singing. Such a mismatch from the theme of the song. He's crooning mournfully about winning the lotto, and at the end he says, "I'm dragging my nuts, my dick hang." But he doesn't say it. He like sings it. It's like what? That is just. It's not. It's weird. But but Lado's energy is really endearing, man. She can really rap. She avoids the pitfalls of modern pop leaning hip hop albums. It's good. It's a good project. Really good project. Uh, in Out In by Sonic Youth. Now, I know a lot of people are going to lament the direction Sonic Youth has gone in recently, and this will not likely be enough to turn that tide. And I do sympathize a little bit with that perspective, but this album is incredible. It's, it's not some sort of romping statement like Teenage Riot. It's not a joyous blend of bounce and rock like Incinerate, but I feel like it was quite brave. Uh, it's great, man. It's a really, really great project. Barely any vocals throughout the entire thing. Similar, of course, to Pinhead Sessions, which may be a deterrent given Sonic Youth's ability to create pretty punchy, but like not necessarily. So what I think what Sonic Youth does is they they don't do experimental tracks. You know, they're not instrumentally experimental. They're they're large in scope, but you would be like, how are you going to get an instrumental album out of Sonic Youth? Like, wouldn't it just be the same loop over and over and over? But Man, Social Static is basically if Band on the Run was fed through the basement of Chernobyl for six months. It's fucking dark, it's dingy, it's dangerous, and I love this album. I really did think I would too. Uh, Everything they've been doing after 2011, uh, man, it's just been atmospheric and and really incredible. So I like it. I like it a lot. Um, We get Gifted by Coffee. So I was a little bit taken aback by the guitars all over this project. But then again, I'm not fucking, I'm not a bastion of knowledge when it comes to Coffee's discography. I was just super excited to dive into it because Coffee just seems allergic to missing. Like she just fucking never misses. Features, solo work, her vocals are silky smooth and they slip into whatever beat is lucky enough to have her on with just deafness and warmth. And Gifted... That warmth, I think, extends even to her lyrical content, which is genuinely uplifting and fun. On West Indies, she sings, You know me, I'm having the time of my life. I want to just party. Even on Lonely, you know, which is a pretty evocative title, it's Coffee kind of holding your hand through the pitfalls of giving your trust and vulnerability to someone in a new relationship. But she gives you no real choice. Like, that's what I like about it. She sings, I know it's hard to trust sometimes, but it's harder to be lonely. And she taps into that old trope of humans seeking out familiarity over happiness and excitement and progress. And to me, this is the overarching theme of the album. It's not unaware of the challenges that life throws at us. It's not turning its back on them. But Coffee remains resolute in the middle and and diminishing the desperation and pain without diminishing the people who experience it, which is very hard line to toe. To be positive without being patronizing or to offer help without being condescending, it just feels organic and and natural to her and it's such a lovely image. I put it all on last night and drifted away and it was just, yeah, it's a really good project. Finally, Nigo, I know Nigo. Nigo? Nigo? I don't know how to pronounce his name very well, but uh, I didn't know him before this album. You know, he's the creator of Bape, 51 years old. He began selling Bape shirts and camouflage hoodies from his own store and built a cult classic following. And, you know, that was even pre-Bapester sneakers. You might remember Pharrell referencing Bapesters on Mr. Me Too. 
And he's also a producer who's been intrinsically linked with Kanye and Pharrell. You may remember a collab between Kanye and Teriyaki Boys called I Still Love Her. And uh, he is their DJ. So uh, Nigo, I'm going to say Nigo. I, I, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name. Uh, he's their DJ. So I won't pretend to know how this album came about. But his ties to fashion and hip-hop run ridiculously deep. If you have the ear of Pharrell... You have the ear of the industry, and this paves the way for guest spots from Tyler, Rocky, Gunner, Clips, Ferg, Uzi, Pop Smoke. That's enough to carry any release. And I saw a few people critical of this record, saying the features carried, but logically this doesn't track at all because we can all agree. And this is I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it out here why this doesn't make sense. We can all agree an incredible vocal performance can make a bad beat kind of listenable but not really because the production has to be on point even on a basic level for a project to be anything more than mid incredible guest spots cannot carry an album into repeat listen category it doesn't work like that if the production is poor so i'm not sure what the 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 criticism of the production even is like on lost and found uh he grabs a couple of slim thug tracks from the the mid 2000s to give us that bounce aria with rocky could easily be on any rocky album Punch Bowl is post-2010 Pusha T. Pop Smoke back on a drill beat. I think the exceptions to all this, Functional Addict is woeful. Absolutely woeful. Unlistenable song with Pharrell. Think this is entrepreneur level Pharrell. Like really terrible. The Cuddy track was a miss for me. You know, it's nice to hear Cuddy on some different production, but the novelty of hearing him rap over like a 2011 beat Skrillex might make was, yeah, I wore off real quick. And, you know, I think Nigo grabbed the production that really did match the energy of his guests, though. This isn't some awful DJ Khaled creation trying to shoehorn billions of dollars worth of talent into the most generic, abhorrent pop production. He was thinking hard about the production that would sound best under these artists, and I think for the most part, it hits pretty hard. So that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Yeah, so I think, um, oh, by the way... um Force feed sexuality. That's a that was a great that was a great descriptor. I like that. Um, so yeah, this is probably maybe my favorite week so far this year. Um, just I think yeah maybe maybe it's it's, it's up there. It's definitely top three. Um, so started with um, started with uh, Treasure Bloom, uh, nostalgia. So Treasure Bloom um, is a nicest. Um, uh, from well, raised in Harvardshire, London born, um, and uh, yeah, so basically think Frank Ocean esque kind of thing, progressive R and B kind of thing, um, but also you know st- stuff stuff of like uh, you know stripped down acoustic kind of stuff as well, um, bit of electronic you know thing going on. It's a, it's a nice mix. It's a, it's a good mix. I feel like um, I want to say genreless, but it's a, a genre bending. Genre bending, I think is the word. Um, yeah, it just takes you know a lot of lot of elements from a lot of places and uh, turns into a nice uh, decent EP. Um, and uh, the only reason I did listen to him is because I'm seeing him live uh, in a couple months uh, with my boy Otis Mensah. So uh, shout out to Treasure Bloom, uh, Five Dog Forever. Um, so, you know, we've talked about posthumous albums before and, um, you know, I think, uh, Ben has probably talked about more posthumous albums since then, since that particular episode. And, um, you know, it's, uh, as, as, as posthumous albums go, this is probably one of the better ones. Um, I feel like this is faithful, which is, I think the best thing and the only thing that is necessary for a posthumous album. Um, as long as it stays faithful to the person itself, uh, to the artist itself, I feel like um, this kind of succeeds. Um, it does give off the ele- uh, the essence of just like you know, uh, you know, th- this was done kind of after 
Uh, a lot of this was done after he died, so there's a lot of people saying R.I.P. Fife in their lyrics and stuff like that, which is fine. Um, but yeah, man, this is this is some really good stuff all over here. Fallback with a uh, Rhapsody and uh, Renee Neufville. Uh Nutshell with Buster Rhymes and Med- Med- <laughs> Redman, which is kind of funny. Ben hit me up saying, uh, uh, <laughs> what's all this lyrical miracle stuff from, especially Buster's uh, verse, which is, I, I probably agree. Um, Dear Dilla, Q-Tip, Proprietors, that was great. Uh, uh, Residual Curiosities with Luke Jones, love me some Luke Jones. Uh, uh, two, two Live uh, Forever with uh, Poss, uh, Little Brother, amazing. And uh, Red Manila J with a French kiss, French kiss trois, trois or trois. I don't know how to say it. But yeah, man, there's just some really good stuff all over here, man. It's just really, really faithful. Um, good to hear, you know, Fife's voice, of course. And um, everyone just, you know, did their, uh, did their job on there. And um, it didn't feel like, uh, it didn't feel like as, and more importantly, similar to like the Gangstar album from a couple of years ago. It didn't feel like. You know, they were padding, you know what I mean? There was enough Fife Dog to feel like a Fife Dog record, if that makes any sense. Uh, which is another thing I feel like is necessary to to an al- to a posthumous album. Uh, Coast, Contra, Coast Contra, I think it's Coast, yeah, Coast Contra. Uh, Apartment uh, 505, uh, yeah, Coast Contra. Um, so, yeah, this kind of, this is interesting, right? This is a really fascinating listen. Uh, My Lady, immediately on the regular rotation, really love that track. I love the... Uh, I, I just love the essence of that. It's just really nice, and uh, the bar, the 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 verses go across very well. Um, but the whole album is very interesting. It kind of gives me like Earthgang, but doing better in terms of what Earthgang are trying to do at the moment. Because um, obviously Earthgang have kind of like departed from their kind of like psychedelia uh, roots and have gone more traditional. And I feel like Coast Contra have uh, done better <laughs> with that, which is kind of interesting. Uh, fun fact about Coast Contra, right? So it says the twin brothers are Raj, Raz and Taj Austin, uh, Austin uh, sons of West Coast rap legend Raskas and soul song just Tidra Moses. Uh, met Colombian-born Rio Laws in high school to assemble Coast Contra. That's just a fascinating, um, just uh, <laughs> just a crew right there in terms of just like where they where they come from and stuff like that. And you get that, and you get that variety, and it's really nice. Um, so there's uh, some great stuff all around there. Uh, P. Rallel, spelled like parallel, but just without the A. Um, forward. So parallel P. Rallel is a DJ. Um, and cotton is definitely some DJ vibes on this one. Um, think I call it I call it soft oots. You know, you know how you know it's not like a complete. You know, looks like a f- uh, fist banger, but it's just soft. This is a like nice soft oots, um, nice electronica kind of thing going on. Um, but yeah, there's some, some really good stuff all over this. It's a quick EP. It's not too long. Um, yeah, it's a, but there's some really just good features on here. Uh, my, I think my personal favorite is uh, uh, believe with a uh, Fred Wave and uh, Jeshi. Uh, we also have uh, Rachel Chinariri, uh, Sam Wise, and Venna on a couple of tracks. George's on one time as well. Um, just some really good stuff all around here. Good features and uh, yeah, solid EP right there. Uh, Coffee Gifted. Um, I really echo uh, Ben's sentiments on the album itself um, in general. Uh, I feel like uh, Lonely is probably... I, I want to desperately hear Lonely live. That just that just screams. That should be played live, honestly. Um <laughs> I feel I feel I feel uh I feel like if I say 
uh, I kind of I, I'm waiting for the day where coffee grows up and becomes jaded like all of us, and then starts like producing just some real hard hitting roots reggae. Um, but for now, she's I think she's under twenty years old still. I think she's like nineteen or something. Um, she's obviously still you know just uh, young and uh, and just you know happy, just being just being happy and like and I like the I appreciate that I appreciate the. Um, soft tones that she comes through here in terms of just subject matter. Uh, I love where I'm from. Lonely, like I said, uh, gifted the title track. Uh, West Indies as well. This is some really good stuff all over this. It's um, you know just under half an hour. Um, for some reason they dropped the deluxe edition as well the same day, which is odd. But here we are. Um, but yeah, man, just I just love to be some coffee. And finally, this is an album, an album other than the EP that she got a Grammy for. So you know now she'll get that. Best reggae album for actual album. There you go. Shout out to shout out to the Grammys for doing that for no reason. Um, Fana Hughes, um, Flora plus Fana. Um, I remember listening to her. I think like late twenty twenty, and I was kind of like, okay, okay, some good stuff here. Um, and it kind of just um, it really upgrades from here. To be honest, um, it starts off with some like nice nice acoustic numbers, Moscato breakfast, um, but then it gets into something like bad bad where. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. The, I'm trying to remember one lyric that just made me go, "Okay." Mm uh, I think it was like, "Look at me while you eat it," and I was just like, "All right, cool." Uh, you know, uh, as as uh, you know, we are we are um, card carrying members of the Eat Box Society here on DITD. Uh, so we're here for that always. Um, but then, yeah, after that, in the middle of the album, just gets so much better. Like rain, high roller. Um, alibi it just gets really into some interesting territory um, nearer to the end with the last couple of tracks it kind of goes into these short nu- more shorter numbers kind of like vignettes in, in general um, but just some really good vibes all around um, just some nice interesting R&B definitely worth uh, worth getting into uh, Buddy Super Ghetto I, I remember loving Harlan and Alondra, uh, one of my favourite albums that year. I think it was like uh, definitely top 10, maybe top 5. Um, and uh, yeah, this is kind of not not more of the same. Uh, I feel like there's some kind of evolution here. Um, I, f- I feel it's more modern than Harlan and Alondra. I feel like uh, the reason why I like that album is because it had some classic West Coast in it. But this is much more traditional. Um, shout out to Tanache, man, for just being like top, just, just in that middle class constantly. Always in that middle class. Um, I've never seen her, you know, just pop off in any fashion, but she's she, she just keeps getting work. She just keeps 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 keeping on. So shout out to her. Um, you know, Black 2, it's not quite as many times saying Black in the first one, uh, but that's cool. Uh, Happy Hour. I'm I'm still not understanding why T-Pain did has one of the, has the highest viewed uh, Tiny Desk partly because of the fact that we were also surprised that he has actual vocals and still decides to still do auto-tune when he doesn't need to. Jars me the fuck out every time. Um, and But then we had Coolest Thing with Zarya Lennoxon and I felt fine again. So, um, you know, I think Zarya Lennoxon and Buddy do just some really good stuff together. I, I really enjoy when they get on the track together. Uh, Fat John playing Plaything Cypher. Um, so Fat John's kind of like a, uh, uh, a, a a beat legend in some ways, right? Um, and I forgot how, I forgot who put me onto him or how I found him. But um, yeah, just a producer rapper, um, real underground. Uh, and this this particular album is just super, just oh, it's just so crazy. Like just uh, just a really superb play it, 
don't care about the track list, just pop it on and just vibe out. Electronica, hip-hop kind of thing going on. Absolutely outstanding, uh, just nearly an hour. And lastly, uh, Denzel Curry, um, Melt My Eyes, See Your Future, love the title. Um, he's just a creative's creative, isn't he? Just um, just, uh, just constantly evolving, just constantly doing fresh stuff. This is nothing like alt, this is nothing like taboo, and then nothing like each other. And they're just, and that's, I, I just really appreciate that, I really like that. Um, Walk-In is def- immediately on the regular rotation. Um, Sanjuro as well, definitely on uh, immediately on the regular rotation. Uh, the the if I if if X Wing didn't have such a in my mind lackluster hook, um, I would have also put that on the regular rotation because that the lyrics on that one is just mm, 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 it's just it's just so clean. Uh, I'm gonna read that a little bit. Uh, but I'm too smart for the radio. Masked up like a young Ray Mysterio. Mask off when I'm back in the studio. Mac ain't make it to 27. Park ain't make it to 26. Big ain't make it to 25. So it's only right I gotta get rich. I just really love that. I really love that whole passage right there. Um, and yeah, some great great features as well. Ain't no way uh, with uh, Rico Nasty and Jid especially. Really enjoyed that. Um, and uh, yeah, man, it's just <laughs> just top tier album. Um, Absolutely, definitely an album contender for a lot of people. I feel like Denzel always has that, where he's just like liked by a lot of people um, and loved by, you know, just a little bit lesser, but always liked by a lot. So uh, shout out to Denzel Curry on that front. And with that said, we should hop into our final Women's History Month retrospective, and we're saving. Uh, well, not the. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're saying we're, I didn't. I don't know why I was going to go down there. I say the best for last. They're all great, but um, you know, just a, a real fascinating one for me personally. I've always been a uh, kind of just like uh, interested in what Foxy Brown's about. Um, I was always just thinking like she's not like she's not just like Kim, right? And I'm 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 kind of uh, I was I was glad to from my personal from my personal listening to find out that um, she's not and she's her own thing. And um, and the beef was probably just uh, completely. <laughs> Completely pointless, um, but here we are. That's what beefs usually are in most days. Shout out to Slaughterhouse. And uh, yeah, with that said, Ben, what have you got for us today? Yeah, well, I want to start by reading some words Foxy said about Shantae on a Combat Jack show. And I do it for two reasons. Firstly, Foxy came into the game at 14. Same age as Shantae. Second, both artists were abused by partners, hurt by labels, and eventually dipped from the music industry very quickly after they came in. Now, Foxy said... I wasn't into hip-hop at all. Don't get me wrong. Hip-hop for me, the only one who did it for me, the dark-skinned one who was beautiful, educated. She had all the biggest dudes on her and she didn't care about what anyone said. Roxanne Shantae. That's who I looked up to and I said, that's me. She's like my big sister to this day. She inspired me to do this. She was smart, articulate. That's what I wanted. So Foxy's parents divorced when she was four and she didn't take rap seriously for a huge part of her formative years. She won a talent show in 1994 in Park Slope. And serendipitously, Trackmasters were present in the crowd. And Trackmasters, of course, being a running joke on this podcast. Now, most people attribute Foxy's rise to LL Cool J's I Shot You remix. Now, Trackmasters were working on Mr. Smith with LL Cool J at the time they discovered Foxy at this talent show. And they were so impressed that they popped her onto this remix. But Foxy recorded that verse after she recorded Ain't No with Jay-Z. It was just taking too long for Jay-Z and Dame to get it on the radio, especially in comparison to, you know, Ladies Love Cool James. Like, LL had been in the game a decade by that stage. So Jay-Z said this in Decoded. He said, Irv met DJ Clue at a gas station and gave him the single like it was a drug deal or something. 
It was the first time we got an ad on the radio. That was major. Irv also gave us a great piece of advice. He told us Dead Presidents was too hard for a hit. The record on the flip side, Ain't No, that was the one that was going to be played at clubs on the radio. And Jay also said this. He said, I knew Inga from, and Inga is Foxy's name. I knew her before LL's I shot you in the fall of 95. She was a tough, pretty girl from downtown Brooklyn and perfect for the concept I had for the song. When Ain't No came on, it seemed like every person on every level of the club went to the dance floor. And Foxy told Shade45 this, uh, Jay knows that that's the record that made him. Seriously, we all know that. And that's a huge and iconic record for him, but he kept it going. Now, if we go back to Trackmasters, when Foxy laid her verse on the I Shot You track, Poke told Complex, when she got on that beat and murdered it, everyone was like, yo, this is it. So we did the Def Jam deal, and then immediately we started on the record. Everybody knew that we had to seize the opportunity because this was the record that was going to launch her. He also told of the difficulty of even getting on that track with LL. She said there was a big thing about putting Foxy Brown on this record. They were like, we're not putting no new artists on this record until she went in the booth and spit. And they were like, holy shit, we got to keep her on this record. Typical fucking major label. No, it's too new and scary. And then as soon as they hear it, they're like, oh my God, we can exploit this. Yes, do it. So... I would argue that I Shot You might have got her signed, but Ain't No definitely set her entire career up for life. And we're going to periodically return to that as the episode progresses. But the wild thing is her age, which varies according to the story and who's telling it. But I'm always going to run with Foxy's version of events. Now, I don't want to misquote her, but during the Combat Jack show, this quote came up with one line heavily censored. She said, when you're 14 and your nickname is good dot dot dot, what does it say? At some point, you have to have that life. Now, Il Nana is the name of her debut album, and the word censored comes after good. So I'll let you do the math at home. So she's the same age as Shantae when she came in the industry, and Foxy was already stark, man. Once I shot, she came out, a bidding war for her signature ensued, and she told Combat Jack, I had what was the craziest bidding war in hip-hop. It was Don Pooh in my backyard fighting Steve. I had Jimmy Iovine in LA, puff contracts outside the door. It was the biggest bidding war ever. Now... I don't actually know why people don't talk about this more often, but Foxy was originally signed to Capitol Records under the name AKA, or even earlier than AKA, she was known as Big Shorty. Now, Eric Nix told this story on Drink Champs. This is an interesting Big story. Shorty. He says, Tracy Waples was her A&R. Carmen Bryant was Tracy Waples' assistant at Capitol Records. Now, if you know Carmen Bryant, she was uh, very, very connected to Nas, very connected to Nas. So Foxy Brown's stage name was AKA when she was signed to Capitol Records. She got released from Capitol Records. When she got dropped, we had to revamp her whole shit because at the time, she was rapping about robbing and shooting guns, but that wasn't really her. We all came up with, you gotta rap about hood shit that girls do, but not so much shooting an Uzi because that's not believable. At the time, all the female rappers were trying to rap like dudes. There hasn't been a female rapper who raps like a female. So we had to change her name. We were like, you know, Foxy Bound, Pam Greer, that's how she got her name. Now, I haven't heard mm. Foxy tell that story. I have not heard Foxy tell that story. But certainly, her name came from the Pam Greer character, and Foxy has said that multiple times. She's actually had conversations with Pam Greer. She told Combat Jack, when I realized I had that power and I got that nickname, Ilnana, I wanted to incorporate that with my name, the power, the statement that it made. Her name is Foxy Brown, who of course I have permission from the OG Foxy Brown, Pam Greer. 
She told me at age 15, this is Pam Greer telling Foxy, I've done damage to that name. I want you to make your Foxy bigger than my Foxy. When they say the name Foxy Brown, they think of you, not me. And now various stories of the bidding war for Foxy's signature and how it transpired. Eric Nix claims she only wanted to sign a bad boy. Um, but Foxy ended up at Def Jam. Others talk of every label in town relentlessly pursuing her signature. But regardless of what happens, Foxy's industry ties were different to those of Shantae, but just as binding because Clark Kent was Foxy's cousin. And of course, DJ Clark Kent was at the genesis of the DJ revival in the late 80s alongside Kid Capri and Funk Flex. And there was he was an epic fan of Lil' Kim, if you remember that episode. And Clark Kent introduced Dame Dash to Jay-Z. And Def Jam was the label who eventually partnered with Rockefeller. So Jay-Z and Foxy were forever linked before they even met. And Shantae's ties were very close to familial as well. You know, Marley Mile pulled her into the industry the same way Clark Kent pulled Foxy in. And people say it was Trackmasters. And that's cool. But as we learned in our Biggie episode, and I'm sure there's been many others, there was no, no chance of Foxy Brown missing her chance. If it wasn't Trackmasters, it would have been Clark Kent. If it wasn't Clark Kent, it would have been Eric Nix. If it wasn't Eric Nix, it would have been Don Poo. She was too unique and too talented to slip through the cracks. And she was dragged in the industry at 14, 15, 16, any of these ages, whatever story you hear, those are your key formative years and it affects you. And uh, yeah, we get Il Nana out of that, if you want to jump into that, Charlie. Yes, so um, simply put, I feel like this just um, this whole album kind of uh, exemplifies just how good she is. And uh, I, I honestly, I said this to Ben when I, after I listened to it, I was just like, I, I literally, you, you have to put a gun to my head to find a skip here, and I'll probably die because there isn't a skip. There literally isn't. Obviously, like you know, interviews and all that, but you know, just actual songs on here, absolute bangers. They all bang. They, are, they are literally all good. I can't find a flaw in any of it. It's just luxury rapper is best, genuinely. Uh, let's go for uh, Get Me Home which is um, was her first single so considering it's her first single she comes out with this hold up let's take it from the top I, Fox get my swerve on floss pure rocks in the six drop boo and it don't stop see money looking alright yeah what pap cross the room throwing signals I'm throwing them back flirting cause I digs you like that Pete baby boy style hoping we match he sent me the Crown Royale with a note attached. It said, you look like the type that know what you like. I could get, I could tell by the jewels you go for the ice. Plus you wear the shoes well, the suit flows nice. I don't like the notes too well, let's be more precise. Meet me by the VIP, let's powwow. Whisper on my ear like boo, let's bounce now. I'm about to say peace to my mans for you. When it's all said and done, I've got plans for you. It's just, it's just fire, man. And it's still on this, like, you know, very R&B-ish beat. Obviously, with Blackstreet all over this as well. It's just perfect. It's a perfect track uh, for what it's supposed to be. And uh, it's the exact same for all of these. Uh, the Promise with Havoc, If I, The Chase, Ilnana with the uh, uh, Method Man, No Ones, uh, <laughs> Fox Boogie with The Kid. Capri, which I referenced at the start, <laughs> I just really loved uh, Kid Capri on that. I don't know why this is very, it was just very uh, essential to me. I just really like it. Even with that one, I'm done like Perignon, Pete me, continuously to take money indeed. 
uh, they take money, that's what they say. Uh, they keep fronting, my firm keeps stunting, Fox, uh-oh, freak summon, B12, coops flossing, higher post off me, kin, softy like Fuji's. My last straight cheddar in the case sweater, then pussies fuck dicks, raw dog shit, bubbling mad chips, hard in the six, where we at, Brooklyn, you know that. Niggles gets dismissed, so peep this, I flows, I flows on like heroin. <laughs> Tom's like Dion, rewind the ill, uh, nana, laying in the tail on stone like Sharon. Let's see niggas say he really yapping about, about how how that dick be all that, he blowing backs out. Please, I was in drop three, it was D, and his man from DC on some straight PD. I ain't mad, Papa, do your thing, get your thug on, keep holding, I'ma keep high rolling. It's just really, it's the independence, the, the, the flex, the luxury... It all just fucking oozes, man. It is absurd how great this album is. This is this is one of my favorite albums. I've just like, I've 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 spun for the first time. I've like been meaning to for ages, right? Um, but just never got to it. Just one of those produced by fucking Trackmasters, bro. Who fucking knew, who would have who would have thought it? <laughs> <laughs> Not us, chief. <laughs> Fucking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven out of the thirteen tracks is Trackmasters. Absolutely outstanding. Coming out of coming out of the out of the doldrums of uh, of of our of our of our of our bad books, Trackmasters coming out with a fucking banger. Um, but yeah, man, shout to shout to this whole album, man. This is absolutely outstanding. I love this album to death. It's so good, man. It's such a good album. Uh, you know, it was driven heavily by. The first ever Hot 100 for Jay-Z. Jay-Z, I'll be the first time he ever went. Top 10. Uh, sorry, Hot 100, top 10. Not, what am I saying? Yeah. But yeah, number 7 on the Hot 100. Fucking epic. Tone said this. He said about this song, I'll be. That was the record that was just another record for the album. The thing about the Foxy album was it was basically our creation. It wasn't like working with LL where we did it in conjunction with him. We put a track for him. If he'd like it, then he'd rap. With Foxy, it wasn't like that. It was like rhyme. We had our whole vision. For that song, we wanted Jay-Z to rap. So he basically went in, spit it, he pinned it. Then she came in and did it. It was just another routine record. It wasn't a long process. We played it. We had it at that. And then he went into then went to Hit Factory where Jay laid the vocals. So it's just simple. Like, you know, it wasn't... You know, it was... and But the thing is, it was preceded by the single Get Me Home featuring Blackstreet. And Tone and Poke Told Complex, we always try to make event records. Try to make the records so it's a pin in time. So everyone was like, yo, that time is crazy. That is Trackmasters, no doubt about that. They fucking made very time-specific music. Uh, but the album debuted at number seven is definitely considered a classic. One of the two single, once those two singles, sorry, dropped a, and hit, you know, Foxy was fucking out of here, man. And what it reminds me a little bit of is... That Bad Boy LOX album, Money, I think it was Money, Power, Respect, the one that was on yes. uh, Bad Boy. Yes. I seem to remember us saying that our album basically had a bit of everything that Diddy was doing at the time. Now, yeah. to me, Ilnana casts a really wide net, like Letter to the Firm with that beautiful sample, very low-key song, which is the more masculine side of Foxy's image. Then we get Foxy's Bells, her LL Cool J homage, Get Me Home is the equivalent of if a Doja Cat and Weekend song came out in 2022. Uh, the Promise with Havoc could have easily been on the infamous. The Chase sounds like straight up mafioso, like reasonable doubt. I love the dough kind of stuff. 
Fox's Boogies, like that late 80s R&B throwback. And then I'll Be yep. is the Puffy record. You know, it's the glitzy yep. white suits in a video, something straight off a of volume one video <laughs> shoot. And Foxy was mm. just vastly different to Lil' Kim's debut. If you remember Lance Rivera saying Lil' Kim sounded like Fredro Starr before Biggie transformed her vocals, Foxy just fucking leaned into that shit, man. Like, she leaned way heavier into, like, the Mob Deep, the Onyx, the straight-up gritty, no-frills, no-ruffles boom bap. And I always felt yeah. that this was where her true creative desires lay because, you know, Foxy says in numerous interviews her legacy was mixing hip-hop with dance hall. And absolutely, we'll get to that in a couple of albums' time. But hearing mm-hmm. her slip into these drum hit cadences, like if you listen to Who Shot Ya, the way that Biggie's punchlines crash on the drum every single fucking bar, it's bang, 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 and it just punches you in the face every fucking time. Foxy had that, but she also had the silky smooth flow of Jay-Z. You know, while Lil' Kim mm. punched you in the face with the overt nature of her content, Foxy was a smoother yeah. operator. She molded herself to the production and the energy of the song, and she inhabited it. But I do feel she was never better than she was on tracks like The Chase and The Promise. And the album exploded, man. During the Combat Jack show, she said she wanted to chart everywhere from Africa to Ibiza. And Il Nana is platinum in the US, gold in Canada, silver in the UK, charted in Germany, Netherlands. Ul B was a, was a global smash. It was an actual global smash. Germany, Netherlands, New Zealand, Scotland, Sweden, the UK. She even charted on the entire European chart. Like, by that stage, Foxy was fucking out of here, man. And then we get a second album, China Doll. Yeah. Um, one time for Foxy Brown. Uh, no, it's Foxy Brown. <laughs> one time for Pam Greer, actually, because uh, uh, she does feature in the first track of this. And uh, Black Sportation, go, you know the vibes. Shout out to Pam Greer. Um, I, I want to meet Pam Greer so much. Oh, it's so bad. Um, but yeah, the, um, definitely, I think I saw somewhere uh, saying uh, this is a sophomore slump album, and I agree with that. I feel... Um, I feel like uh, that it just wrote that. It, uh, oh gosh, do I have to find it? Call um, them out. <laughs> Call them out. Wheel them um, out. And let us let us. Jose F. Promise. Ho- Wait, the album Jose F. Two point five. You are wrong. Okay. Well, I agree. Still, um, <laughs> I think my problem with this album. Um, is that, fun- well, funny enough, Bonnie and Clyde, uh, Jay-Z again, there you go, so uh, that's like the what, third time we've talked about this this way, in the past couple of weeks, um, I think it's kind of, um, I mean, I th- okay, so, actually, I might, it might be in the next album, I actually think, my voice on that, but anyway, um, my life is so fascinating as a track, I didn't expect this kind of song to come through at this point, um, I didn't. I just didn't expect it to come through. Uh, she goes uh, at the age of fourteen, introduced to coops, then how to seduce niggas, taking they loot quickly, got involved with this money lifestyle, the finer things, all kind of things, power, money, cars, and diamond rings. In ninth grade, flaunting Gucci boots with the G's on it, high price for this high priced life. While I'm on tour, is my man cheating not just for spite? And if you only knew, I hold my minks at nights uh, with cheap or no other hands can hold me right. My girls ain't the same. Guess it's cause the fame. Bitches smile in my face and throw dirt on my name. Mad cause I made it. Now friends intimidated. Hated when I'm uh, that I'm the same game. I'm in the same game as them. No more fame than them. Uh, they know who they are. Life's no joke. Got, got us having to broke. Got us having to broke? Yeah, okay. You as my sister, we used to be used to dream together. How could we 
how can we make it real big? Do our thing together. Half film and lose together. Remember them days? Them niggas we played. Now we don't even speak. We're in our separate ways. Separate lives. Lost friendship for pride. Playing the game. About to forfeit. High price. Life can't afford it. It was a really deep track. That's like fire. as just like, you know, the second thing coming through. I didn't like China White um, because of the... I, I don't know whose voice it is in there. But it just it just really jars me. Um, I, I yeah, I just I, I just don't know what it is about um the voices on there. I don't I don't know if it's Foxy doing something or someone else. Uh, but uh, young Gavin, I guess I don't know. But um, yeah, yeah, it just really jarred me. Um, but I think my issue, I think came more not about the album itself. I guess it was just more about the fact that there were so many features on here, and it kind of just got really overblown with features to me. Um, and it's, e- it's even crazier thinking about that there were unreleased songs here. So it's on this Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> it was one supposed to be with R. Kelly. Bullet dodged, I guess. Yeah. Uh, fucking with Nori. Uh, Maria Damn featuring boy. Pretty Boy. You know, there's a couple of un- unreleased ones there. But even with that said, like, Dog and a Fox with DMX. Oh, with Swizzy on the production. That made se- that makes sense because it basically was a Rough Riders track. which just, just happened to have... Uh, that just happened to have uh, um, uh, Foxy Brown on there. Uh, I can't with Total, which is calm, I guess. Uh, four, five, six. I kind of just got, yeah. She just kind of just got um, like overtaken with by Beanie and uh, Memphis. I forgot she was on there. Ride down south, especially with Two Short, Eight Ball, MJG, and Juvenile. She just got completely, just gone completely washed. And also, and you know, and then you have something like BWA with Mirex and Gangsta Boo, and that was very enjoyable. I really like that. So yeah, I'm kind of half and half of this album. I do. There are good. There are some good stuff on here. I will take back and say it's not exactly sophomore slump, but I mean, factually is considering Neil Nana was a complete fucking classic on classics, and it's just untoppable. You can't really top that. So officially, technically, is it sophomore slump? But I get. What, I I'm I'm in the middle there. I'm not. I'm not quite like you know. It's not worth listening to. But it's clearly not Il Nana, and I just feel like with a couple less features, it would have been more beneficial for her personally. I, you know, I'm coming here for for a Foxy Brown album. I'm not coming here so she can just get mauled to death by other people. It's just, it's just, it's just not it. Um, so you know, there are some good stuff here. You know, Bonnie and Clyde with Jay Z, uh, My Life, like I mentioned, uh, BWA. Uh, can you feel me, baby? Good stuff. There's some good stuff all around, all around here. Tramp, very funny. Really enjoyed Tramp. Uh, but yeah, I, I just feel like there was a lot of um, a lot, too many cooks in the kitchen uh, on wax for for me. Hmm, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, look, I've I've referenced it was written in the first line here, but no one would say it was written as a sophomore slump. You know. Okay. Like okay. it is technically. <laughs> But it isn't. Technically, it is. You know but, what I but mean. We don't like, say that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. I will talk about the firm the same very, thing. very briefly because whilst Nas was recording, it was written. Az came to Nas and told him about Foxy Brown. Now, Az was so impressed with her that he actually drove Nas to Brooklyn to meet her at her house. Now, Nas already had the idea for the firm pre-Foxy, and she was a missing piece. Tone and Pope told Complex, Nas always wanted to get this crew together. He'd been calling it the firm for a minute. We've been trying different members out. We had 50 Cent in it for a little while. It just didn't work out, though we did make a record. Now, that we've, I think we've spoken about that before, about uh, 50 Cent being in the firm. Now, Steve Stout, the master of nuance, Steve Stout, said, Nas was so antisocial back then. Foxy was always coming around the studio. 
I had Tone, who had discovered her, signed her. Nas met Foxy at the studio and was just in love with him. But it's not like they fucked or anything. She always looked up to him, was always in awe of him. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, Steve. Appreciate you just clarifying that for us. It's not like they fucked or anything. Like, all right, cool, bro. Thanks. So Good. No. Nas struck when he Just had the chance, up, yeah. and I'm I'm actually really certain that part of the feud between Nas and Jay Z was Foxy related. Mm-hmm. So Hove began recording Reasonable Doubt in '94, and we know that Nas was focused on Illmatic at that stage, and obviously Foxy recorded with Jay before Nas. And of course, there's always been accusations that Jay only signed a mill to replace or even piss off Foxy Brown. And that is something that Foxy has said herself in an interview in '04. She said he signed a mill and tried to replace me, but it got laughed at. But it doesn't really matter because Foxy Brown was the perfect fit for an album, The Firm, that we will speak about one day, but not not today, but we will speak about it. The hype for that album was fucking epic, man. Whilst everyone points to Nas as being the major draw card, you know, it was written, dropped a few months prior to Il Nana, and Il Nana sold 128k first week. It was written, sold 270k, so Nas was bigger. But Foxy had a hot 100 top 10, something that Nas had never once achieved ever in his career. He has never done that. So the hopes of the firm were not just pinned on Nas. You know, Foxy wore a lot of that responsibility as well. And it was something Mm. weighing heavily on her because I think we can both agree her album is not as graphic as, as Little Kim's debut album. You know, and there is overt sexuality on there, but it's just not the selling point of the album. But because Foxy was young and attractive, it became the focal point of the attention being directed at her. And Foxy told Combat Jack, I would always wear this mask. And that mask transcended into people thinking I was one person when I was totally someone else. And I've seen a lot of interviews from that time period. And you could pretty much just remove Foxy and replace it with Lil' Kim in those conversations and it would still make sense. But whilst we know Little Kim took that role on with relish, Foxy did not. And she said in a few interviews she doesn't consider herself a feminist at all. And whilst China Doll was an alluring cover, it's hardly as evocative as the artwork for Hardcore. You know, the way that Little Kim called herself the female biggie, I almost feel like Foxy is a better fit for that title. And if we go back to the firm quickly, uh, Trackmasters told Complex there was something between Nas and Foxy because Foxy was rolling Jay-Z, so it was a tug of war. Now, Foxy spoke often on Combat Jack of being around strong, powerful men and bringing out the best of them. You know, China Doll took that to a whole other level. So when we talk about, you know, there being too many features on China Doll, this is something that she has said repeatedly in interviews that she courted, like she wanted a lot of features. She wanted to bring out the best in these artists. So we had DMX, Jay-Z, Beanie Siegel, Bleak, Juvenile, Too Short, April, MGG, Nori. Like as Charlie says, a lot of like artists. they need a leg up. They don't need a leg up, but I think the thing was, I mean, you got to think about it. Like, now we look back at these artists as absolute legends, but sure. it's not like they were, you know, it's kind of like they had they had a couple of albums out or they had a couple of songs out or, you know, they'd, they'd gone number one a couple of times. They weren't legacy artists the way that they are now. We look at these artists now in 2022, we're like, these are fucking sure. legends, but in 1999, they weren't legends yet, you know, especially not DMX. DMX had two albums out, three albums out. Like, Jay-Z had albums out, Beans had albums out, Bleak had out, but they weren't like, you know, they hadn't been dropping since 94. They weren't Nas level yet. And so, you know, the, and to, to, to be fair of China Doll, this is just the second number one album on the Billboard 200 from a female MC ever. And the first that you could say oh. is a straight rap album. 
And it's a 1999 album through and through to me. I don't know of any more 1999 sounding albums than this. Like, maybe, you know, look, there are a lot of albums that had elements of 1999 and they just didn't deviate. Like uh, Rough Riders, you know, Rough Riders, the uh, compilation album, the, the label album. Um, you know, Eve was on that kind of time. Ja Rule with uh, Veni Vedi Vici. Uh, that was Holla Holla, Murder for Life. That was very 99. Missy had The Real World. Diddy had Forever. Lil Wayne had The Block Is Hot. Jay-Z had Volume 3. But no one grabbed all of those sounds and then just kind of like gave it to us. You know, we got G's yeah. Funk on Bomber Skit. We got Cash Money type beat on Can You Feel Me Baby. We got West Coast on Baller Bitch with Too Short. We had fucking new metal on here, bro. We had new metal on here. Okay. Mia X... Gangster Boo, like, bro, that's wild to me. So, look, Irv Gotti told MTV, everything she's doing is a good reflection of who she is. And it was. Foxy was always Foxy in the midst of whatever sound she was embroiled in. There's a review by Leanne Bonin from uh, 1999. I'll read an excerpt. She says, on my life, uh, Brown presents herself as a reluctant sex symbol or as reluctant as someone who routinely poses half-naked in spangled skivvies and bus chairs can be, and details the high price of this high-priced life. Indeed, my life suggests that the 19-year-old chart topper has known suicidal thoughts and, in an eyebrow-raising lyric, claims she so missed her father who abandoned her at age four she would have pimped for him. Songs like My Life don't make Foxy Brown the Alanis Morissette of rap, but they bring welcome substance. It's nice to know that even China dolls, as hard as they are, can be fragile sometimes. And I think that kind of sums up what was happening to Foxy's career. You know, Lil' Kim was careening towards superstardom, but Foxy is significantly younger. You know, her father dipping at age four was very traumatic for her, and she speaks of it often in interviews, how she tried to fill that void with abusive men and powerful industry males. She told Combat Jack, I had Jay-Z all the way, I had Russell, I had Kevin Lyles, I had very strong people in my corner. A lot of people don't know those relationships. I think Chandol is a great album, and I think there's a lot to be said for an artist who effortlessly switches their style and vibe to match whatever way the winds are blowing. Like, if we think about Yo-Yo, it's a stark contrast to her last week who explicitly said she wished she had that superpower, but she was never able to develop it. So Foxy's superstardom came through adaptability. She was being portrayed as a sex symbol, so she could be one. If she needed to get gritty on a song with DMX, she could. If she needed to slip into a sultry R&B role on I Can't, she can. And mm. if she needs to be the rock chick, um, and I say that as a 1999 term rather than 2022 term, bro, she did it so well that a, a reviewer saw fit to drop Alanis Morissette into a review. Like, that's crazy. So I like the album, man. I, I, I like the album a lot. Hmm. No, you make a good point. I feel like, um, yeah, you brought me, you brought me around. I think uh, in terms of the argument, I feel, I feel that. Yeah, I feel that definitely. Broken silence. Um, you want to jump in? Yeah, um, and kind of adds on to your point. To be honest, overall point in terms of how adaptable, adaptable she was. Um, and you can, you can. I, I was listening to this, and I was just like, oh, so this is where Nicki Minaj got the inspiration. Okay, right, because yeah, the the island tings on this album is abundant, and I'm completely here for that. Um, you know, starting off with like a oh yeah, definitely with like a with, with a with a Spraga Benz on there. Um, just, uh, yeah, just, just, uh, real island shit, real, real here for that. Um, but yeah, I feel like, um, 
There's some, there's some also, again, good stuff on here. And the, like you were talking about, adding on to what you're talking about, very, um, what's the word? Uh, very uh, adaptable. Um, I, I just, I don't know anybody else who would do a near seven minute track with Ronald Isley. Um, and also, and two and two tracks before that, do a complete island track with Sprague Benz, and then in between that, having a full-on fucking Brook, we're Brooklyn act type anthem, called, literally called BK anthem. Um, so as a three-track, um, as a three-track stretch, there's a, that's a very fascinating just uh, encapsulation of what you're talking about. Um, so shout to her on that one. Um, but you know, there's uh, there's also you know some negatives. I think. Um, uh, the the rare the rare Neptune's uh, production in two thousand that I don't like, which is Candy featuring Kalise. Uh, they do not like that track. They at missed all. sometimes. They 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 missed big sometimes. miss on that one. Yeah, yeah I know, but we, I feel like I feel like history's been good to them. Um, so you know, I feel I feel like it's important to mention that they've 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 taken some L's on that one, and that, and that was definitely one that was that just didn't that did not age well <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, but you know, you know, some good stuff about my paper with Mystical. Mystical's just fucking ape, just goes apeshit on there. I'm just really, uh, really here for that that energy. Um, not a fan of Run Your Shit with uh, Capone and Noriega. I feel like that's probably the hook more than anything. Uh, just, I feel like it was just a bit here. Um, but you know, apart from that, Nana Be Like, Gangster Boogie, uh, So Hot, uh, Hood Scriptures. There's some good stuff all over here. And, uh, definitely adds on to what you're talking about in terms of being adaptable and just being very, uh, and just being super flexible on what. Uh, she can she can skate on and uh, it, t- it took a I don't know why it took two out al- uh, uh, three albums for her to you know get into some get into some island vibes but um you know she finally does it and um kind of <laughs> it kind of uh, just make it kind of uh, I think uh, creates that full circle of what she of what uh, Foxy Brown is where you know the first two albums are just a lot of what we what we've talked about. But this one just kind of like caps it off as just a solid three album stretch of just, um, you know, just a great uh, smorgasbord of, you know, luxury rap, sex rap, uh, island bu- island production, island everything in that fashion, island energy, uh, but also just that hard shit as well. And the R&B stuff like you're talking about as well. So it's just an amazing variety all over if you, you know, encapsulate the three official albums um, that she has dropped. Um, but, you know, we'll get into the uh, other stuff um, uh, in due time. But yeah, man, uh, it's, a, it's a solid album. It's a real solid album. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, the thing that strikes, struck me immediately when I heard it was, uh, oh yeah, with Spraga Benz. And of course, Tables Will Turn. Uh, on the Wendy Williams show, Foxy said, Def Jam Jamaica, that was my idea. I'm suing them for that. About oh, three yeah. years ago, I told Randy <laughs> Acker, who was the I VP of that, Def yeah. Jam, I did a song called Nana Be Like in 1999. Kevin Lyles said, what are you doing rapping like this? No one, Nobody understands this, but this is personal to me. My parents are from Trinidad. My man is from Jamaica. It ended up being a Grammy-nominated song. I kept going. The whole Broken Silence album was based on a hip-hop Caribbean theme when no one else was doing it. You all need to start something for real and branch off into this whole West Indian thing. He's like, no, 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 no. But after Broken Silence hits, Sean Paul comes out. Now they're jumping on the bandwagon of West Indian hip-hop. 
So Atlantic ended up getting there first, obviously, with Sean Paul. But Def Jam did drop an album in 2003. I'm not sure if people know about, about this very well, but it was called Red Star Presents Def Jamaica, and it featured dancehall and reggae acts collabing with American rappers signed to Def Jam, and Randy Acker took credit for it in an interview. So that made me sad, to be honest, because... Thus far, I've made it pretty clear that although I've heard Foxy say in an interview she was in complete control of her sound and direction, I don't think the facts really match that. We have independent testimony from people like Eric Nix, Clark Kent, Trackmasters, and even Foxy herself when she talks about the way her career has been managed, basically that her career has been managed. And as I said at the start of this pod, she was forced to wear masks to hide her true self or to shapeshift. And finally, she finally comes to Def Jam with something of her own creation after having the first ever straight rap female album go number one on the Billboard 200 and they curve her. Now, I don't fucking like that. That fucking pisses me off. Now, Broken Science was a bit of a commercial dip. 130K first week, number five on the Billboard 200. It was reviewed very well. Vibe gave it a four. NME gave it a 8.5. Four out of five, that is for Vibe. NME, 8.5 out of 10. The production was a little bit perplexing because we got Ski Beats, Neptunes, DJ Clue, but a lot of producers not particularly well known. It charted really well worldwide. On the intro, she speaks about an overdose, and I read the Hip Hop DX review from 2001 that said that there were rumors that Foxy had overdosed on ecstasy a year prior to the album dropping. And another Hip Hop DX article said that she was being plagued with rumors of drug abuse and of having an affair with DMX. She also disses Little Kim on here. She repurposes Jay-Z's line from Do It Again, saying she's all right, but she's not real. And Foxy was just yeah, under was attack. Good. She was under attack on this record, man. Firstly, her creative like ideas w- weren't being hurt. You know, she was, she was still enduring the whole debate around whether she was dangerous or too promiscuous. She had been in court twice, once for spitting on a hotel worker and once for driving an unlicensed car. And according to The Guardian's review... They said that she'd been hospitalized several times to treat her addiction to painkillers. Now, that Guardian review is fucking weirdo energy, but man, like they said, let me just read this section. The sexually provocative Foxy of old isn't completely extinct. She surfaces on the lilting candy, bragging her nana tastes just like candy. Twix or Starburst, dearie? What? Twix? (laughs) What are you talking about? A Twix? Yeah. Anyway. Could have, could have picked a better one, but... Yeah. Anyway, her beef... Twi- her her beef little... I mean, look, man, we've, 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 we're talking about this off wax just beforehand. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've ever tasted a Twix, but anyway. Her beef with You've never Kim... tasted a Twix? I mean, I've, a real Twix? Yes. What do you mean? Have you tried a Twix or not? I mean, we're talking about it in, this, in the, the realm of oral sex on a woman have oh right okay had, have you ever gone down on a girl <laughs> I'm and been like the chocolate mm, bro. this tastes just like twix have you ever yeah, done that no 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 poem has never tasted like twix to me but, there's um, too much going on it's in still a twix. good ladies and gentlemen it's still good right. there's too much going on in a twix you know it's chocolate it's a it's a crunchy center there's a caramel that's a <laughs> something's going on if that is the case yeah. but anyway anyway her beef with Lil' Kim was at its height, you know, right when Lil' Kim was at her peak, and a peak that no other female rapper had ascended to in that way, and she was engaged in a beef with Eve at the time as well, you know, right when Eve was at the pinnacle of her success. So there's a lot riding on this Jesus. album, a lot of pressure 
a lot of forces conspiring against her and we never mm. got another album we never got another proper studio album after this you know um mm-hmm. i was i remember when i was much younger reading the source in double xl and people were just outright asking what happened to foxy brown and i can jump into that if you're comfortable with that unless you had more go to say about that go for, well i'll 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 um i'll tee up with this wow sean combs managed to bottle it twice go for it Ah, dear, oh dear, oh dear. So, eat up. If you listen to Foxy interviews, uh, she doesn't like to speak about anything post 2006. Even post 2001 is a bit of a struggle. But if you want to hear anything real about 2006 to the present day, uh, you need to go to sources outside of Foxy. And that isn't to disparage her. When she popped back up to do interviews, she was either promoting new music that never came or she was reminiscing about her pre-2001 day. So I'm trying to work this out here, what happened. So Broken Silence Drops is not a hit. She began to branch out creatively and this seemed to slowly wedge her away from Def Jam. In 2002, she did a song with Japanese-American singer Hakuru Itada and it popped up on the Rush Hour 2 soundtrack. She also had Loon, Birdman and Nori on the single Stylin', which did chart on the R&B hip-hop chart. She also had Magnetic with Pharrell in 2003 and then Come Fly With Me from 2005. I'll speak on that in a second because that is a pivotal record. But things went south very quickly. In 2003, she hopped up on the Wendy Williams show and just fucking aired people out, man. She said her album Ilnana Part 2 had been shelved indefinitely and that it was meant to come out on a newly created partnership between Bad Boy and Def Jam in which Diddy had 50% of her contract. Now, Foxy claimed... Diddy wanted her to radically change her image and even her hair color. Now, I can't find the specific quotes of Diddy saying that. I assume he said it to her, not in an interview. But MTV reported in 2002 that Diddy was executive producing her album and he said, and I quote, I'm going to make a big, big movie. I'm going to make you be able to see it from beginning to end. I'm going to transform the whole situation and get it where it needs to be. Now, if you need any more proof that Diddy fucked up here, just go listen to our Bad Boy episode, man. That episode was about 12 hours of me just telling stories of people shitting on Diddy. And I can't, I don't think I even included Foxy Brown in that episode. So, you know, things were bad on the other side too because Foxy asked Leo Cohen to let her out of her contract and he actually told her over my dead body. So she was stuck. And uh, it feels even nastier when I see MTV press releases and you have Diddy saying, the settlement, listen to this, listen to this wording. The settlement is mutually beneficial and I look forward to working with him on 112 and Foxy Brown and making sure both artists continue to have successful careers. Bang! Fucking death knell. If Diddy comes in and says, oh, I look forward to helping an artist have a long and successful career. That is the end of your career. Nothing will happen after that. It is fucking game over for you until you get out of that situation. And we never got another studio album from Foxy Brown after Diddy said that. Now, some sources claim that Foxy left Def Jam and then re-signed when Jay-Z became president. And she does allude to this on the Combat Jack Show interview. She said Jay welcomed her back and even said the first thing she heard Jay-Z say publicly after becoming the president of Def Jam was he was going to get Foxy back. Now, Jay became president in late 2004, so Foxy would have had to have been unsigned for a very short period of time. But whatever belief she or other artists had that Jay-Z was going to be their Def Jam savior, we know now that that was scuppered. 
because really only the Roots and maybe you could say Nas have come out and said positive things about Jay's time as Def Jam president because I've now heard Foxy, LL and DMX not particularly enamored with Ho's performance as head of the label and Foxy even said that when Jay signed her back 50 Cent called her and offered her triple Jay-Z's offer to sign the G-Unit instead, but she went with Jay-Z because he's family. Now, Jay-Z was even floating the idea of a new imprint called S. Carter Records, and Foxy was saying that she was going to be the first artist signed. Now, Foxy doesn't... She, she does criticize Jay-Z a little bit, but she doesn't openly say he's any kind of like negative influence on her because... Well, Black Roses was recorded, so her, so so Ilnana Part Two was shelved. That that's done. Black Roses was beginning to get recorded, and the guest list. Listen to this guest list: Shine, Shine in 05, Big Daddy Kane, Rakim, KRS-One, Shantae, Jay Z, Barrington Levy, Dido, Luther Vandross, Most Def, The Neptunes, Kanye, Timbaland, Trackmark, Bro, come on. There's no, there would never have been a bigger 2005 album than that. Like, that would have been unbelievable. But her hearing loss happened. And I've kind of set all that up like I was going to drop some big reveal about the way the label ruined her. And I think it did. But I don't think it immediately did. I think what it did was it eroded her artistry and her motivation over time to the point where she left Def Jam kind of limply rather than fighting for Black Roses to release. And her hearing loss was devastating, man. Like, she said one morning she just woke up and she couldn't hear. She told Combat Jack the first person that she revealed this to was Jay-Z. She said that she didn't do it until a year after it happened. Although, like, news sources around this time say six months. It was actually headline news. There was a press conference. Hip Hop DX published the breaking news in 2005. uh, And... You know, Shaheem Reed reported in 2006 her hearing had been restored and that she was back promoting Black Roses, saying the album would be out Christmas Eve in 2006. Now, she told MTV, I went straight from the operating room to the studio. It was really hard. I was deaf for an entire year, completely deaf. The surgery was iffy. They didn't know if it, was a, if it would be a success, and it was. But again, circumstances conspired against her. In September 2007, she was sentenced to one year in prison for violating probation from a 2004 fight. Now, she told Combat Jack that she was falsely accused and wrongfully imprisoned. But I wasn't sure when she said that if she was speaking about this 2004 fight in the nail salon or a 2010 incident where she antagonized her neighbor because she was arrested for that and charged, but the charges were dropped in 2011. But either way, that that 2007 imprisonment matched with her parting ways with Def Jam for good. That was the end. And there was a little bit of tension with Jay-Z before she left because a 2006 interview asked her about her relationship with Jay at the time, and she praised him, but she did say she wasn't too impressed with his recent dealings. And Jay-Z, for his part... He openly was critical of Foxy, saying that he didn't feel like she was putting in as much effort and energy as she could. He wasn't malevolent. It felt like he was trying to, like, motivate her. But, like, bro, no. Like, if the album's recorded and ready to go, put the fucking album out. But this likely kind of fed into the frustration she felt at what she claimed was the wasted single Come Fly With Me featuring Sizzla. And I think this was the reason she left. Foxy stated that this was the last song that she finished recording before she went deaf, 
and it was one of the best songs she ever recorded. She said she agonized over who to put on it, and the track was meant to be massive, but she said it wasn't even promoted. It didn't get a proper video. They just basically threw it on the trash heap, and the wild thing is it's still charted 45 on the R&B hip-hop chart, and you know, Foxy's fan base was really strong. And I, I think that, you know, there's so many things in this in this little period. Going deaf, this track, Come Fly With Me, uh, going to prison, you know. And once she was in prison, she had signed to Kosh, right? And almost immediately after the, the independent label, almost immediately after getting locked up, they released the mixtape Brooklyn's Don Diva without her consent. And she told Miss Info's blog, Unfortunately, during my incarceration, this CD was compiled without my approval. I heard this CD in its entirety for the first time just days ago and was devastated, riddled with grief over an album that was seemingly so carelessly orchestrated. In another phase of my life, I would have dealt with this situation with litigation, but for the benefit of my fans and in the wake of the profound spiritual cleansing I recently underwent in prison, I made the decision to settle our creative differences amicably. Now, Chaz Williams came out. He was uh, her manager. He came out and apologized and said he no longer represents Foxy. The goal was to officially re-release the tape with more oversight from Foxy and possibly as her next studio album. Uh, The mixtape charted 83 on the Billboard 200, number 8 on the independent album chart. But it feels feels tame, man, especially when you consider what Black Roses was going to be. And so then from 2009 to 2020, Foxy has appeared four times as a guest, four times in like 11 years. There are three solo releases, and that's kind of it, man. This might be one of those super anticlimactic endings. Uh, <laughs> she basically left the game without fanfare. You know, when Brooklyn Don David dropped in 2008, that motivation that had been slowly eroded over 12 years in the game by major labels trying to force her into whatever box they deemed fit for her, that motivation evaporated. She was done, and she dipped. She dipped like fucking Lauren style, like genuinely fucking dipped. And it's no surprise that she emulated Lauren in that way because she said in so many interviews she really looked up to Lauren Hill and said that she was an incredible influence on her. In the past couple of years, Foxy's announced a you know a new album, but a new book as well apparently. But they didn't, they haven't happened. And yeah, man, look, I think, I think she used the music industry to get famous and I think she did it really well. I think she played the game quite well, but it used her just as it used Shantae. The music industry used her, used Yo-Yo, used Lil' Kim. You know, as soon as it was done with her, it dropped her. And you think about it, we only got five years of Foxy Brown, 96 to 2001, that's it. And that's not even that far away from Lauren Hill. We got two albums in four years from Lauren. We got more from Lauren, really, because we got four albums, really. If you're including MTV Unplugged and you're including the two Fuji's records, we actually got a little bit more from Lauren than we got from from Foxy. And the thing with Foxy for me was she was the bridge between the superstardom and notoriety of Little Kim and the grounded realism of Lauren Hill because I think Foxy showed what Jay-Z would show a decade later, that you can toe the line between glitz and grit. You know, Diddy tried to do it for years and failed. Jay-Z couldn't perfect it until American Gangster. Foxy Brown didn't even break a sweat. She just came straight out of the gate and did it effortlessly. You know, I and I think that that is her unique selling point. I don't think anyone was able to do the way... I mean, fucking look at LOX doing it. Look at all the artists that Diddy had that he tried to turn these street rappers into, like, you know, shiny suit artists. Foxy yeah. could do that easily 
she could do 50 yeah. other things as well. She was incredibly yeah. adaptable. And I think that, uh, yeah, man, she's, she's a pioneer in that way. Yeah, I feel like the last bit you were saying um, really... Uh, it really, it really, it really, really fascinated me on that front. Um, talking about, especially comparing her to Lauren and putting her in that kind of middle middle category. Because uh, I was talking, um, uh, I, I was talking to uh, uh, the guys at Twinergy. Um, that's, that's gonna, I'm gonna be uh, dropping uh, whenever they drop it. Um, they probably drop clips, so I'm gonna. So expect some sort of uh, video of two guys from Chicago and me. Uh, chatting about hip hop in general and music in general, uh, at some point in the next few weeks. But he, they they wanted to talk about one topic they brought up was um the you know the women in hip hop and uh, in general, and I I made a long point a long winded point, but my point was that the the one or the other kind of thing that we've done with female artists um, in hip hop, especially. You know, when it's like, it's either Queen Latifah or Lil' Kim. And it's no in-between kind of thing. Um, but that's wrong. That's false, right? Especially in the past couple, in the past few weeks that we've been talking... And, and we've been talking about the likes of Shantae and, uh, and Jojo as well. And Kim and Foxy. Um, there has always been a fertile ground. But not for the lack of trying. Um it's always kind of just a uh, force to go to pick us to pick a lane and uh so someone like foxy um she didn't and i would say that in some ways some sometimes uh, uh you know partly um to her doing um because you know going to jail don't help going deaf don't help you know um you know, to know to some of her fault, to some of just like the game and the business's fault. Um, the fact that she had a lesser, uh, just a time of it than Lauren, make just blows my mind to think about. Because because we always think of Lauren as that person as just like a shining light of just a, a brief and beautiful light that just uh, came by and then just disappeared. It's like the fucking Avatar <laughs> when the world needed her most, she vanished <laughs> like. <laughs> but it, but it's the same. It's it's even it's even more overt when it comes to someone like Foxy. When um, you have three very you know one stone cold classic and two very decent albums, um, and then you know a bunch of other stuff. I mean, there's you know Brooke and Don Dee is on Spotify. Il Nana Two is on Spotify. But even Il Nana Two is very disappointing because you have um, uh, there was supposed to be. Lauren Hill, there was supposed to be, uh, funny enough, Diddy, uh, Anita Baker, Luther Vandross, Ludacris, uh, Capone Noriega, um, but instead, all we got was Benzino, uh, mm. <laughs> even on, even on the, <laughs> no shot to Benzino, but you know Careful what I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's just like even listening to that I listened to that on the Spotify edition of whatever that, that album is and it was just like okay um, and then you know Brooke and Don D was just like super 09 just from a production standpoint and I don't think I finished it it was just it was just very drag, drag it dragged a lot for me um, and it's disappointing you know because you know we, we it's, it's it's annoying seeing something like Il Nana and seeing such a classic and having that perfect intersection that I don't think we've ever seen 
where we've had that, we've had the luxury, we've had the gritty mafioso, and we've also had the uh, overt sex- sexual nature. I don't think anybody's done that in one album. That uh, that's that's that blows my mind to think about. I don't. I, I'm ri- I'm literally trying to think about it as I'm talking. I'm trying to think of another person who's done that, and I don't think anyone has. Maybe two, but not all three, and. That's unique. That's unique in a lot of ways. And also makes it all the more, as you were saying, anticlimactic and, you know, a bit of a a bit of a lead balloon. Um you know, wet blanket, you know, pick your superlative of how disappointing that is of seeing um someone so raw talent such raw talent. And uh like I said, to the fault of the business, to fault of the game and to fault of her own in some fashion. Um, just didn't pan out to more than three albums and a lot of unreleased material and a lot of, you know, rumours and myths about, oh, this album has all these features on it and we never got those. And that's just disappointing and anticlimactic, but, you know, to leave it on a positive note, the fact that we have, um, you know, three just, just top tier albums in general and that unique just knowing the fact that she could have been, you know, um, so much more is, uh, there is, there is an enticing nature about it. And, and, you know, she was on uh, King's Disease 2, if I remember correctly. Um, so you never know, you never know, never say, yeah, never, never say never, never, never say never on that front. So, um, you know, hopefully she's good in general, but, um, and hopefully, you know, maybe get that book some book at some point. I feel like there'll be from very deep, interesting, uh, stories about that, uh, uh, about about her on that, uh, but yeah, until then, we'll have to just sit on it, and uh, we'll have this, but yeah, man, shout out to Foxy Brown, man, because um, I, I knew she was, I knew she was good, but I didn't realize, I didn't see that context of just like, how good, and it's just, um, and it's a worthy finish um, for, I think, of uh, our Women's History Month uh, celebrations, definitely. Yeah, for real, for sure. All right, we shall leave it at that. And uh, hop into a light note if you have anything. Uh, not really me this week. Do you have anything? Uh, yeah, man. So you know, I celebrated my uh, pops' birthday um, a couple of days ago. Um, went to <laughs> went to the Emirates uh, to uh, uh, for for a tour of the Arsenal because uh, my pops is an Arsenal fan. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of Spurs derogatory uh, uh, <laughs> uh, wording coming from other people around the tour. Really? I got roasted by some. I got roasted by an Arsenal dad. Like, I was just like, who? Because like, I really wanted to say, who the fuck are you? You don't know me. Go away. Um, but I just had to eat that because uh, literally at the start, right? So uh, you know, the person at the person at the, at the desk or whatever, um, you know, gives us whatever, and. Uh, you know, he he asks, like, you know, we both Arsenal fans here, and I, you know, I say tight lips, right? I'm just, I say, I just say, I'm here for his birthday, you know what I mean? And he goes, yeah, I'm an Arsenal fan, he's not. I'm just like, why are you throwing me under the bus? And then, like, they caught, these, this other Arsenal dad just caught, he caught me eavesdro- eavesdropping, and, like, and his sons were there, around my, around my age, maybe younger, um, and were just like, uh, yeah, when, when, when they were kids, I told, I told my kids, if you ain't Arsenal fans, you can get out. And I'm just like I'm just standing there like okay, that's cool. I'm just gonna go ahead and take this tour right now. Um, but <laughs> it's just, it's just, but they just kept like they just kept like 
uh, you know, just meeting in certain places. And I'm just like, oh, fucking hell, he's got it again. And, like, um, during, like, the history bit, which was kind of fascinating, actually, in terms of just, like, general football history. There's some good stuff there. Um, but oh, near to near to the end of that, it was just like, um, they were saying, um, uh, oh, uh, have you turned him yet? Um, and, and he, he, he said, no, probably not. If, if I haven't by now, it's, probably, it's not going to happen, is it? He was like, oh, don't worry, Chelsea went over a team by the end of the week. And I'm just like, wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm just... Okay, I'm just gonna take a picture of the of the, uh, of the Invincibles uh, uh, trophy and uh, take a dip because Jesus Christ um, was uncalled for. Fucking <laughs> least you were a Tottenham fan, they would have. <laughs> I, I didn't know. even say anything. I was wearing the Ajax shirt, uh, the 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 Bob Marley Ajax shirt from from this year. I was I was neutral, bro. I could I could have worn the Chelsea shirt just to you know be trolly, but I didn't. Uh, I wore the Ajax shirt, yeah. and I wore that for a reason because during the, during, after that we went to the Sachi Gallery to hit up um, uh, Bob Marley uh, One Love Experience, uh, like a big just uh, Bob Marley exhibition, um, and that was just um, now you know that was the reason why I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to you know go out that day obviously, and um, it was just super fulfilling just seeing that. Um, I don't know why, but like the most, there was it was it was teared up in very interesting ways. So, you know, there was a room about his love for sport. Um, just you know, pictures of him playing football. I got there's a picture of uh, his uh, shoes with like you know still got dirt on them, and I was donated by one of his family members. Uh, you know, there's a whole room about uh his tour life, and there was like uh, you know them tour boxes and big black boxes, and it had like a the set list, and he's like and he drew on it and changed changed jamming and Exodus, switched those around. It was really fascinating stuff all around, and uh, there was a big room of uh, professional art and fan art at the same time. There was some really good stuff there. Um, there was one where it was like a uh, basically just bob marley just made out of like shattered vinyl it was crazy how sick that was um and plenty of other stuff to to do with marley but the most fascinating thing i think we feel like was probably the last one where it was kind of like a celebration of his family as well um where you know there was pictures of him and his family um it was like this big uh as soon as you enter there was kind of like a a, 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 a kind of like a, a uh, a cascading uh, picture board of like his family tree, um, including you know <laughs> Lauren Hill's daughter, um, and obviously Rita Marley and Damian Marley and uh, Stephen Marley and all them, um, and then had like all the plaques of their works. So welcome to Jamrock Grammy and stuff like that, and Stony Hill and all of Ziggy's um, Grammys as well. Um, but, and and there was like a nice there was a nice little bit um, sectioned off for Rita. And I, I feel like that was kind of like the most, uh, I, I liked that the most. I don't know why, but it was just her, her photos especially of just like, um, just a vibrant smile and the fact that she was the matriarch of that, uh, of that entire family is just, um, yeah, it was really, it was really interesting. It was really interesting uh, going across all that. Um, then my dad tell this story, this, this whole story of the day and it'll basically be him moaning about travel because the way back... Uh, was absolutely horrible. Go, we had to walk everywhere. We practically walked London the whole day because um, uh, the tube was uh, kind of had just had tons of signal errors. Went to Simon Square. They said no, his, his whole whole station shut off. Go to Victoria. Trekked to Victoria for twenty minutes, um, and uh, the whole district line was shut off there. So we had to take um, 
So I had to take the Victorian line and then uh, uh, take the Jubilee line back to West Ham. But yeah, it was just um, <laughs> it's just a lot of uh, unnecessary travel. Um, but but he but you know, sixty-two years old, walking it. Um, you know, he firmed it nice. Um, he he got there in the end, so that was good. Um, but uh, even with that said, I feel like the most fulfilling moment of all that was um, of the whole day was after the Emirates tour, uh, where he took me basically round the corner to where he used to live as a kid. Um, right next, right, literally a stone's throw away from where Highbury was, and um, I don't know. I've just never had that experience with him before, and uh, took pictures of um, you know the house he used to live in, uh, and then the road name and stuff like that. Just small things here and there, just for for me personally. But um, yeah, it's just um, I've I've just never gotten that before. Like memories from you know fifty years ago in his case. Um, and just him talking about that kind of stuff. I've never really had the opportunity to do that with him. Um, so yeah, that was really fulfilling on my for me personally. Um, after firming all the all the all the Arsenal injection injections. Um, but you know he enjoyed himself. He had a good day. So um, you know I can't complain. I, I was basically his personal photographer for the whole day. Um, I literally sent his uh, literally sent the photos um, to him. Uh, he said, uh, <laughs> "Not complaining, uh, but white monochrome." Because I did a few edits in monochrome because I like monochrome. So, uh, but yeah, it is it is what it is. Can't please everybody. Um, but yeah, man, uh, it was it was a good day. It was a really fun day. That sounds amazing. It sounds great. The um, the weird thing about the link up there with Bob Marley is I actually wrote the entire podcast while I was high on marijuana. Yesterday, not yesterday, Thursday. So. <laughs> Yeah, I I took some medicinal cannabis on Thursday morning and it kicked in. It took like four hours to kick in and then sat down and wrote the podcast. And I was like, I read it this morning because I hadn't read it again. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to, how this is going to come out. Like God knows what time (laughs) I was on then. But I read it, it was yeah. good. I was like, oh, wow, okay. So I'm productive on on cannabis. That's that's, that's good to know. Very good to know. Yeah, that's good to know. Very safe, healthy herb, people. Very safe, yeah, healthy it's, herb. It's it's, it's nice. It's nice. It's nice having that having that vibe, um, and also being productive at the same time. It is good. Absolutely. Yeah, what are we good. doing next week? We could do the firm if you want. Since it talks about it. Hmm. Did we do the firm? What was it? Oh, that was aftermath. Yeah, okay. We did aftermath. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, we eviscerated that. Sheesh. Yeah, that was fun. We'll think, we'll think about it. But um, after that, we have our third anniversary show. Um, I already said that a couple of weeks ago. But um, yeah, we'll figure something out. And uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Heaven Podcast Network, it's been Digging Digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Charlie Taylor of the Fifth I've been Ben Carter for Pop Numbers. We hope you all have a good week. Uh, always try and do the same. Hope you enjoyed this uh, We Miss History Month celebrations for uh, Roxanne Chante, Real Roxanne, Lil' Kim Yo-Yo, and obviously Foxy Brown. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is piece and video games for bonus points. They said your records for to use. Socials with Fifth Element Hip Hop by Numbers. Bonus points at your records will be in the full show notes as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a Fifth Element podcast over production. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll just see you next time. I'll dig in in the digits.